0: Go ahead uh, and be turning to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter. We're going to skip around this morning. We're going to do a little jump, and Buffy's going to come back next week uh, to to Luke chapter 10. But uh, we're going to jump ahead this week to 11. But before we read that text, let's uh, let's review. Who wrote Luke? Who wrote the book of Luke? Luke. Who is Luke? Historian, physician, historian, doctor disciple maker, ministry companion of Paul. Who's he writing to? Theophilus, that's right. Who is Theophilus? Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Who else is he writing to? Gentiles, that's right. All right, let's not skip that. Who is Theophilus? Most excellent. There you go. What does that mean? means he is important that's all we know he's a high-ranking government official a a, um, maybe a a citizen a regular citizen who's who's well-off rich uh, but that's all we really know about him so why did Luke write the book yes Orderly orderly account of Jesus's ministry and then so Theophilus would know that the things he were he was being taught was true all right good any questions comments criticisms no all right well save the criticism after the sermon Mm -hmm. today we're going to look at uh, a text that i promise you all know very well you all know it very well you've you've said it you've prayed it uh countless times there are very few passages in scripture that are quoted as often as this one we know it because it's it's been ingrained in us it's been ingrained in society and in our culture but i doubt i doubt bless you I doubt that, that many of us or that many people have any clue to, to, to what's actually being taught by Jesus in this text. See, there's only two times in Scripture that Jesus taught us how to pray right here and in Matthew six. All right. And the text uh, in Matthew six isn't Jesus and Luke given an account of the same event. All right. These are two separate events, two totally separate events is two. two Two instances, two different occasions. In Matthew 6, that was part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount um, in in Galilee. And then here in our text today, uh, Jesus was with his disciples in Judea. So these are two separate events and two separate instances. In Matthew 6, his instructions were part of a sermon. And here today in our text, uh, uh, Jesus is given... A response to his disciples a question that he's asked by one of his disciples or a or a direct request rather not a question but a request uh, and so he um he after jesus had been spent some time in prayer himself uh the uh one of his disciples asked him uh, or requested for him to teach them how to pray so if you're there in luke chapter 11 let's all stand as we honor the holy and perfect word of god we'll start in verse one Starting in verse one luke chapter 11 And it came about that while he was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you so much for your word. It is holy. It is perfect. Lord, you are holy. You are perfect. And we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done at the cross in Jesus so that each and every one of us have a chance and opportunity to come into a right relationship with you because of that. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for this day. We, uh, we come today to honor you, to glorify you. As Buffy told the story uh, before, we, we, we come to lift up Jesus. And Lord, I pray today that you would speak through me. You would speak, uh, you, would, you would empty me of myself. And you would speak to your people. Hide me behind the cross, Lord, as you speak to your people. It's in the most holy, the most righteous, the glorious, and the beautiful name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Okay, so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to make an attempt to to wade out in the deep end of the pool. All right, we're going to get on out there a little bit today. These verses, if you don't know, are like spiritual gold. It's like a spiritual gold mine. And I hope we can can get some big truth out of this. Um, But I also understand... That when I get finished here, there's going to be a lot more left unsaid than there is actually said today. Uh, but I pray that that, that, what, that we um, what we do discuss are the most important aspects of the text this morning. So before we jump in, let me I want to make a couple of, couple of assessments. All right. Um, first of all, this is not the Lord's prayer. Did you hear me? This is not the Lord's prayer. This is the disciples' prayer. I know it's always, as, as long as I can remember, been called the Lord's Prayer, and uh, really most of us would 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 refer to it as the Lord's Prayer. But the Lord's Prayer is actually in John 17, the High Priestly Prayer. That's the Lord's Prayer. Jesus did not ever need to ask for forgiveness, as he as is he's teaching the disciples in this prayer. So, this is not the Lord's prayer. Jesus never did anything he needed forgiveness for, right? So, it's not a prayer to be memorized. It's not a prayer to be recited. Rather, it's a model of how we, because we're not Jesus, it's a model of how we are to pray and what we're to pray for, okay? You never see Jesus recite this prayer. You never see Jesus anywhere in Scripture pray this prayer. Matter of fact, you never see the disciples or hear them anywhere in Scripture pray this prayer, ever. It's only, the only other reference, as I said, is in in Matthew 6. uh, And right here in in Luke 11, Jesus um, avoided giving an exact replica of what he gave in Matthew 6. I mean, there's, there's the first three requests are the same, but the rest of the, is worded completely differently. And I'm, myself, I'm fully convinced that Jesus never intended for us this to be a prayer that we recite, and a prayer that we, we, we chant or repeat from memory. I'm fully convinced of that. Instead, what he's given us is a pattern to follow. This is a pattern. Um, it's like when you, when you make... How many of you ever made business cards or, or a resume or, or something like that on, on, on the computer? What do you start with? A template. That's exactly right. That's what this is. This is an outline. This is a template for us to follow. We fill out the information Jesus has given a guide for us to follow. We fill it out with all the information. So let's dig in. I want us to dig in and look at six principles in this text that, uh, that if we follow it, we can pray the Jesus way. All right? So here's your first point. To recognize God's character. Recognize God's character. That's principle number one. He says our Father. Right. Our father. So we're to re- we recognize God's character. So how you pray, how you pray is determined by what you believe about God. Amen. Mm-hmm. If you see God as this unapproachable tyrant, you're not going to pray very often. Right. You're not going to pray very effectively. You matter of fact, you'll likely think praying is a waste of time. But Jesus taught that God is a loving father. And that's a concept that's unique to Christianity. It really is. That's a concept that's, that's unique to us and what we believe. Other religions don't teach that God's a loving father. For example, the, the, the Quran uh, never refers it to Allah as father. Never, not one time. Matter of fact, the Islam teaches that there are 99 titles for Allah the avenger, the subduer, the powerful, but never not one time is he referred to as father. As a matter of fact, the Quran clearly rejects the idea of God being a father altogether. Let me, let me, uh, give you a quote from the Quran. It says, Jesus, son of mercy or son of Mary, not mercy. Jesus, son of Mary was only the messenger of God. And his word was that he committed to Mary and a spirit from him. So believe in God and his messengers and say not three, say not three. That means the Holy Spirit, right? That's what he's referring to that what they're referring to there. Say not three father, son, Holy Spirit, refrain better. It is for you. God is only one God. Glory be to him. Get this, he is above having a son. Yeah. The most radical truth Jesus taught was, was his claim to being the son of God. He said, he said he came from heaven. He said that he had a heavenly father. And, and, and that's how he referred to God most of the time as his father, right? There are In, in the Gospel of John, there are 117 references Jesus made to God as father just in the gospel of john the only time in the gospel of john that he didn't refer to god as father was when he was hanging from the cross and he said my god my god why have you forsaken me that's the only time that he never referred to jesus or or to god as father so you you also run across this camp of people who uh, who we call universalists Mm -hmm. right they talk about this universal fatherhood um they, they, they say God is the father of all people. Jesus didn't teach that. As a matter of fact, he taught the opposite of that. He clearly taught that God is not the father of everyone. He is not. He's only the father to those who are a part of his family. Only those who have been adopted into his family. He told the Pharisees in John 8, you are not, or, or he's, in John 8 he said, you are, you are of your father the devil. That's right. You're of your father the devil. And your want... You want to carry out your father's desires. So who is... I mean, we're in one of two places. We're either a father or we are either a child of God, and God is our father, or we're a child of the devil. There's no in between. There are two spiritual fathers, two spiritual families on earth. That's it. If you trusted Jesus as your Savior, and, and, and then, then you can rejoice that God's your father. And, and that he relates to you as a loving father or a loving father would relate to their child, right? So Jesus is teaching us that, that we can talk to God the same way that a child talks to their father. Uh, you know, in the same loving way. And, and that's that's the biggest reason that, that I don't care for um, proper formal prayer. You know, you've heard people use $2 words when they... When they stand up to pray, big long formal prayers. I, I, I swear, that's the only way a lot of people pray in public today. A lot of Christians. That's the only way they'll pray. They, you know, some they have heard some artificial preacher get up and uh, and use these two dollar words. He'll stand up and use these phrases, and, and they think people people won't pray in public because of that. You know, um, they they think that they're not qualified to pray because they can't speak. The way they've heard these people speak, and, and I've never, I, I've never understood myself. Um, and hopefully, y'all, y'all, y'all can say that I don't, um, because I'm just as illiterate and redneck up here as I am down there. But, uh, but, I, I've never understood why a preacher will stand up here and completely, like he flips a light switch, and he becomes a completely different person when he stands in the pulpit, when he preaches, and when he prays. I mean. It sounds like he swallowed the Lord's table, uh, Lord's supper table or something. I mean, he, he, he y'all heard him, you know, the standard, Oh, heavenly father, dear God. What is that? What is it? I mean, it's like, well, when we talk about God being a father, being a child, us being his, his children, look at it in a, in a physical context. I mean, would you talk to your father that way, your physical father that way? would my kids talk to me that way would you know let's say we're leaving church today and Tanner says he wants some ice cream is he gonna walk up to me and say oh wise and eminent father would thou would thou grant me yeah would you would would thou didst to grant me a, a dairy treat I, I, I can't even think of what to say but uh, I swear, that's how pastors pray. That's how a lot of people pray. And y'all know it. Y'all know it. Y'all hear it. it you know, it wouldn't be in no way disrespectful for him to say, Hey, Dad, can, I, can we go get some ice cream? That's not disrespectful. He didn't say, Hey, old man, give me a dollar. Give me a five to go get some ice cream. Huh? That's, probably that's probably what he would have said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but listen, just, just just understanding that God is a loving Father... When you understand that, that affects how you approach him. That affects how you address him, right? You recognize God's character, okay? You you don't have to come to him in some formal way, all right? So, So you recognize God's character. Here's your next point. Respect God's name. Respect God's name. He said, hallowed be your name. This word hallowed, it's 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 a word that um, we don't use very much. We don't we don't hear it very often. It's not thrown around too much. We 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 hear the you know the hallowed halls of an old building or something like that, or or Halloween. That's about the only two two places we we hear that word used. Uh, and Halloween literally means hallows eve, which is the night before holy day. Or not before a holy day, which is uh, All Saints Day on November November the 1st. But the word literally means holy or special. And in scripture, uh, what you'll find in scripture is that um, uh, the person's name is always connected with their character. So God is not only our loving father. He's not only our loving father, but he's also a holy God. And he's worthy of what? praise and worship so like i said before jesus jesus has given us a pattern to follow when we pray a model for prayer a pattern to follow a template and it's good to start prayer with praise worship right it's good to brag on god's character it it is you and you can do that in your own words you can do it by singing uh, however, you just praise God for who He is, thank Him for what He's done. Every father loves to be praised by their kids, do they not? You know, I know when my kids thank me for things, it, it blesses me. But but when they brag on me, it really blesses me. And so you can bless God by bragging on Him. Why don't we brag on Him more? So before you ask for anything, when you go to the Lord in prayer, before you ask Him for anything, spend some time bragging. On the greatness of God. So recognize his character, respect his name. Here's the third point request God's kingdom. His will. Request God's kingdom or his will. He said, Your kingdom come. Now here comes our first request in the prayer. All right, the first thing we ask of God in this template. that jesus gave us our first request should be to ask god to establish his kingdom here on earth and in matthew 6 he says you you your will be done on earth as it is in heaven now that's not an additional request that's that's just a clarification of your kingdom come so god's kingdom is established wherever his will is done that's where god's kingdom is established god's the king of heaven amen because his will is always right there. Is his will is always done in heaven, is it not? His will is always done in his so his kingdom's established in your life. When his kingdom is established in your life, it's when you're committed to living his will out in your life. That's when he will establish his kingdom in your life, is when you're committed to walking his will out in your life. Now some people have this idea that that God's will will happen no matter what that the will of God always happens would you say that would you say the will of God always happens be careful how you answer be careful how you answer that because that couldn't be farther from the truth is God sovereign yes is God in control yes he is but God didn't create us as robots did he he didn't make robots that, that automatically do his will 100% of the time. That didn't happen. Let me illustrate that. What does God say about sin? What does the Bible say about sin? How does God feel about sin? He hates it exactly. So, do you think God? It's God's will for you to sin? No. Nope. But do you still sin? Yes. Does God's will always happen? No. Nope. Okay. So, you still sin. If God's will is all, if His will always happened, you wouldn't sin but you do see there's a depth to his will that we need to understand it's not what we see on the surface there's a depth there that's why it's so important for us to dig when we study scripture we got to dig in dig beneath the surface words mean things right so so let's talk about this when we talk about god's will there's two words in the greek for god's will just like love in the English language, there's four words for, or there, there's one word for love, but there's four Greek words. In, in, in Scripture, there's two words for the will of God. Two different words. We have belema, Bilema, which is God's will. We have Thelema, all right? God's belema, God's Thelema, all right? Now, in English, both words mean God's will, all right? But one word, Thelema, means God's absolute divine will, Alright? Thalema is God's absolute divine will, meaning that it will come to pass. God's Thalema, God's will will come to pass in the in that Belima is God's desire. Alright? That's he desires us not to sin. God's desire is for none to perish, but all to come to repentance. Do some perish? Yeah. Right. Do all come to repentance? No. So It's his desire and not his divine will. So, so there's, there's a difference there. If God's will was always done, then why is Jesus teaching us to pray for God's will to be done? Jesus wouldn't be teaching us to pray for God's will to be done if his will was always done. So his will is always done in heaven, right? His will is always done in heaven, but not on earth. And That's why we have to pray for it to be done, but not only pray for it to be done, but then we have to be obedient ourselves to walk in it and 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 do His will ourselves. You know, as we live in a, a dirty world, we live in a nasty, nasty world, and 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 God's will, and His His desire, both of them. Uh, but well, actually, His no, no, not both of them. Let me say that again. His desire, God's desire, isn't done a lot of times, right? That's why we pray for the kingdom to come, because when it comes into your life when the kingdom of god comes into your life then you'll be able to 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 walk out his will in your life right and so we want it we want his will done on earth as it is in heaven amen Amen. y'all following good all right so when most people die um they most people leave what when 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 you die most people leave a what A a will that's right so let's say i'm rich which will never happen. But let's say, let's say I'm rich and I write out a will that says I want to leave all my money to Crossway when I die. All right? Well, if I die and my kids and my family don't read that will, they just start fighting over this money that I have and arguing. What's likely gonna happen? My will won't be done, that's right. But relationships will be strained. They will be broken, right? Because they didn't read my will. And they didn't follow my will. They assumed that they knew. They assumed each of them knew my will. They knew what I wanted. They assumed that. And so their relationships with each other, their fellowship with each other was broken. Um, Guess what? God's will is connected to God's word. His will is connected to his word. He's already clearly stated his will in this book. That's it. That's why we got to commit ourselves to reading it, to studying it, to knowing it, so we can determine what His will is. Right? It's dangerous to pursue to, to presume the will of God. It's dangerous to assume that you know the will of God. Study God's word, and pray that His will be done in your life, and be willing to do it yourself. Okay. So, so we recognize God's character we we respect God's name we request God's kingdom now here's the next point we rely on God's provision we rely on God's provision he said give us each day so this part of the pattern teaches us actually it teaches us a lot first it teaches us that it's God who supplies everything we need right Even the most basic needs and necessities that we have, God supplies it. Paul said in Philippians 4 that my God shall supply your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. So notice there he says my God shall supply all your needs. He didn't say all your wants. He didn't say some of your needs. He said my God will shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. There's also significance um, in the phrase "each day." Give us each day. See, Jesus was telling t- telling us and teaching that, that, that we've got to do this daily. We got to depend on Him daily, not once. Can't rely on what we did yesterday, right? Every single day. You go to the grocery store. What do you do? You buy groceries for a week, two weeks, a month, right? You stock up. You stockpile. Prayer doesn't work like that. Prayer does not work like that. You can't stoppiling your prayers. Or th- think back in the Old Testament. You remember when uh, the Israelites were wandering around? God provided them with fresh manna every day, except the day before the Sabbath. But He provided them with fresh manna every day, and and they they couldn't rely on yesterday's manna because yesterday's manna was rotten, right? So so yesterday's prayers do you no good today they have no effect they're not effective for you today not yesterday's prayers to be effective in your prayer life you got to be consistent you got to set aside time to be with the lord you got to learn to pray without ceasing but but more importantly set aside time that's what that was his jesus's habit how many times in scripture do we see jesus going alone to be alone with the father a lot that's right he would go away to quiet places he would get away from everybody to be alone with the father so should we Every one of us, our lives are busy. They're stressful enough. They are. They're demanding. So we've got to be intentional. We've got to be intentional to make time to be alone with God. We have to be, just like Jesus did, all right? So, so we recognize God's character. We, we respect God's name. We request God's kingdom. We rely on God's provision. Here's your, here's your fifth point. We reflect on God's forgiveness. Reflect on God's forgiveness. He says, forgive us our sins. I said earlier that uh, this isn't the Lord's Prayer, right? I don't believe Jesus personally ever prayed this prayer. We know he was sinless. He never did anything wrong. There was no need to ask for forgiveness because he never did anything he needed forgiveness for. Instead, it's a pattern to follow, right? It's, It's a template because you and me... We desperately need forgiveness, don't we? Yeah, we desperately need forgiveness. So Jesus, at this point in time, he recognized that. He knew that. He recognized that that the greatest need for any person was the was the need for forgiveness. That was going to be our greatest need. We all sin. We all mess up. We all fall. We make mistakes day in, day out, time after time after time. You remember when Buffy preached in 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 Luke. Five about the um, about the four friends that lowered the paralytic down in front of Jesus uh, for, for for him to be healed. Every one of us in this room, every one of us, I guarantee you, if we standing in Jesus's shoes, preaching and teaching, and all of a sudden out of the sky comes this paralytic on this bed being being let down by his friends to be healed, every one of us would look and say. This man's health, his legs, or whatever his problem is, needed to be healed. That's not what Jesus did. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus looked at him and said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Look around the room. Look around the room right now. Look at the people right here in this body right we've got uh, 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 Vicky. she's not even here today she's sick and she suffers a lot with her rheumatoid arthritis she's Buffy's had back surgery Corky suffers with pain every single day Uh, my mom's had back surgery mr. John Martin just just went through an ordeal where he broke some ribs Kayla's got diabetes Alyssa suffers with seizures I mean all of Marty's had cancer all of us in this room have something wrong with us, some worse than others. But but listen, whatever your physical needs are, your spiritual needs, in other words, no matter what's wrong with your health, you need forgiveness more. You need the forgiveness of God more than you need your health restored. Because your health will re- be restored on the other side of eternity. Right? So when you're born again, the penalty of sin, hell, and, 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 and eternal separation from God, it's it's once for all, right? And and so that, that's all removed, all of that. But the presence of sin in your life, once you're saved, the presence of sin still a reality, isn't it? I mean, even though we have a new nature, even though we're new, we can still sin, we can still fall. Our flesh is still uh, consistently dragging us back into sin in our life. And, uh, you know, a Christian might sin, but a true born-again repentant believer will never sin and be happy about it. A truly born-again person will never sin and enjoy it. They will be miserable when they do. Now, there's a a point to this prayer that we miss. Jesus was teaching us to, to pray. He's teaching us to pray, forgive us our sins in the same way that we forgive those that sin against us. Forgive us our sins in the same way that we forgive those that sin against us. In Matthew 6, he says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, that doesn't mean that we've got to earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others. We don't earn God's forgiveness by forgiving people who've wronged us. What, What Jesus is saying here is that when you've truly experienced God's forgiveness in your life, then you'll return that forgiveness to other people. When you've truly experienced God forgive you for everything you've done to him, then you'll offer that forgiveness to other people. So you understand that, that that the price God paid, that what it cost Him for your forgiveness, was the death of His Son. There's a cost to this forgiveness; it, it, it cost Him His only begotten Son. Once you experience that, once you realize that, you can't hold a grudge. You'll be unable to. You'll be unable to hold on to forgiveness. It'll eat you alive. It will. Your willingness to forgive other people—listen to me. Your willingness to forgive other people—it's not—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's it's not a prerequisite of your salvation, but it sure is proof of your salvation. <clears throat> if you can't forgive other people, I'm going to say that you likely never been born again. See, un- unconfessed sin. We've talked about this before, but unconfessed sin will, will hinder your prayer life. Yeah. It will. If nothing's happening in your prayer life, if nothing's moving, if nothing's happening, then then you need to check the sin in your life. You need to just to see what you're hanging on to, right? There's probably some things that you that you you act like God doesn't even know it. You see what I'm saying? That's the stupidest thing, in my opinion to hang on and unconfessed sin because we act like we're going to hide it from God. If we don't confess it to, him. he already knows. You're just making yourself miserable by not confessing it. David said in Psalm 66, listen to this. He said if I if I had cherished sin in my heart, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. God. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So so why are you hanging on to it? What are you hanging on to? What grudges are you holding? What forgiveness are you holding back? You're mad, you're upset, you're hurt at some family members for something they did or didn't do. They forget your birthday, they, they, they didn't call you, they didn't come by and see you, they do you wrong, they steal from you, they take from you. You hold on, uh, you've been mistreated, and here's one for me, you've been mistreated by a boss, so you hold a grudge? That's a tough one for me. Listen, you got to let it go. You got to let it go. We find that we find that, it, that it's, it's hard to forgive people because here's the problem. And, and I'm just speaking personally for me. I'm I likely can speak for you too. I don't know. It's hard to forgive people because you think people have to earn your forgiveness. They have to earn. They have to come up and say, I'm sorry. They they don't deserve for you to forgive them. So we hang on to it. We hang on to it for years, right? It eats us alive. Some people die with grudges and hatred for other people. Not a person in this world, not a person that has ever lived in this world deserves to be forgiven by God. Nobody deserves to be forgiven by God. But by his grace, he forgives us. And we should do the same thing we should do the same exact thing. So we recognize God's character, we respect God's name, we request God's kingdom, we rely on God's provision, we reflect God's forgiveness, and now here's our last point. We remain on God's pathway. We remain on God's pathway. He says, "Lead us not into temptation." Now, here's something we've misunderstood about this prayer. All right. The wording here has been misrepresented. All right. It literally means what, the, what, what this text literally means here. Lead us so that we will not fall into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. Lead us so we will not fall into tempt. God can't lead you into temptation. James chapter one. James writes, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Right. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. God's pathway never leads to sin. Never. It's our flesh. It's our filthy flesh. Our own evil desires. It's our own pride. See, that's the big one. It's our own pride that makes us want to leave God's pathway. But prayer helps you remain on God's pathway. Write that down. Prayer helps you remain on God's pathway. Prayer helps you remain on God's pathway. See, the devil is is the evil one. And, And he hates it when Christians what? Pray. The devil hates it when Christians... See, he laughs at all of our work. Everything that we do that we say we're doing in the name of Jesus, Satan laughs at that, right? He could care less. He mocks our wisdom and our intelligence. He could care less how smart we think we are or what we think we're doing for God, but he trembles when we pray. Mm-hmm. He trembles when we call out the name of Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said, "I would rather teach one man to pray than to teach 10 men to preach." Let mm-hmm. that one soak in. Mm-hmm. Greatest preacher of all time, the prince of preachers. Greatest preacher, I think, arguably that ever lived in this world, said, "I would rather teach one man to pray than to ten men to preach." Hmm. Every day we're tempted to jump off God's pathway. Every day, we he, Satan throws some some kind of enticing. Something to, to, to get us and lead us astray, lead us off the path. And most people, and, and some of us are included in, in what I'm about to say next, and this one might sting, but but most people are on the pathway, are on the pathways of their own design. Right? They're on the popular pathway. They're trying to be like everybody else. They want to do, they want the stuff that other people have. They want to be like everybody else. The pathway. this pathway is, is, uh, that a lot of us are on. It's, it's like I said, it's, it's our, by our own design. We build it brick by brick by brick and we build it out of pride. We build it out of pride, our own selfish desires and wants, but God, um, uh, will share this with you. God gave, uh, Melissa some, some interesting insight, um, back last year and her and I talk about this from time to time, but, um, uh, she I don't think she realizes how profound it really was and it, and it really kind of um, impacted me but, but I want to share it with you because it, it speaks to this point six words, I want you to write this down six words, I want you to look at them I want you to, 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 to concentrate on them and remember them so what what does it matter so what what does it matter that's it so what, what does it matter? You Talk on the radio for a living, you're a big deal. So what, what does it matter? You're a supervisor and you, you manage three or four people. So what, what does it matter? You went to college and you got five master's degrees and three PhDs, so what? What does it matter? You got new cars and new boats, New motorcycles, a big house. So what? What does it matter? At the end of your life, when you stand face to face with the creator of this world, all that's gonna matter is if your debt is settled. <coughs> so you're a sinner. The Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. 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 So that's a debt that has to be settled. No if ends and buts about it that has to be settled. you can't look at God and say, "Hey God look man I work at Simmons Bank and I sold twenty million dollars last year in money hey look at all these degrees that I earned look at all these patients I got hey God look at all my look at my bank account look at my cars look at my house what's he gonna say so what what does it matter what does it matter In that moment when you're standing before God, if it doesn't matter to eternity, then it shouldn't matter in your life. If it doesn't matter to eternity, it should not matter in your life. Stop wasting your life focusing on stuff that doesn't matter in the end. We waste our lives worried about stuff. Spend your life, spend your time, spend your resources, spend everything you have on what matters in the end. And there's only one thing that matters when you stand face to face with God. The souls of men. The souls of men. That's the only thing that matters. Focus your life on the souls of men. That's how to get and remain on the pathway of God. Some of you have gotten off of it. You've made poor choices. God's calling you back to follow. He's calling you back to the path. Will you get back on track? Will you get back on his path? Where's his pathway leading? Where does God's pathway lead? Let's look at the Bible. 23rd Psalm says it best. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. See, this this is more than a prayer for us to repeat. This is more than a prayer for us to chant. It's a guide that will put you on God's pathway to eternal life. It'll put you on his pathway to eternal life, and it'll help you stay there. Amen? Let's pray. Father. God, thank you. Lord, I thank you that you you didn't leave anything to chance. You didn't leave anything out. As we come to your word and study every week, I, I'm, I'm blown away. You know, people say there are contradictions. People say there, there are uh, things that are wrong in your word, but it fits together like a perfect puzzle. There was there's never been a mistake in your word, and there's never there's nothing that's ever happened or or has occurred or that will occur that you haven't first thought out. God, I'm grateful for that. Lord, I'm grateful for you. And I'm grateful for what you've done in my life. I'm grateful for for what you're doing amongst this body. And Lord, I pray right now that if there be any amongst us who've never met your son in a real relational way who have never who has never known Jesus God I pray that the Holy Spirit would go to work as your gospel is being shared God I pray that you open blind eyes you would open deaf ears you would you would, you would turn hearts of stone and dead hearts into into hearts of flesh God, I pray today that we see your glory work amongst us in the holy, righteous, beautiful, and magnificent name of Jesus. Amen. So, why are you here? Not just in this building but why are you here how did you get here why do you live why are you here do you know why did god create you for his glory for his purposes not your own In the end, it doesn't matter what you've done in life. It doesn't matter where you've gone, who you've met, what you know, what you did for a living, who you thought you were. It's not your world. And you weren't created for your own glory. You weren't created for your own your own um, worship, you know, for people to worship you. You weren't created really and truly just to be happy. God created you for his glory. And he's not concerned with your happiness as much as he's concerned with your holiness. God created you to bring him glory. And what we've done, every person since Adam has robbed him of that glory. And it's because of the pride that I talked about earlier. We have robbed God of that glory. We wanted to be like, we just like Adam and Eve, we wanted to be like God. We wanted to know the things that God knows. We wanted to see the things that God. We wanted to have the power that God had. We wanted to be just like Him. We wanted that knowledge and that wisdom. And so we we, we we try to take it. We rob Him of that glory. And because of that, we've been we've been cursed. We've been cursed. Everybody since Adam, everybody who that is born is born in Adam, which means they're born sinners apart from God, separated. Separated, and it's only through Jesus can you come back into a right relationship, or come into a right relationship with Him. It's only through Christ. See, because God requires perfection, right? He requires sinlessness. Have you ever told a lie? Lovey well, we asks us all the time. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever looked at another person with lust? Have you ever, have you ever uh, been angry with somebody else? Even one small white lie is enough to send you to hell for all of eternity. Because God requires perfection and you've never been perfect. There's only one that has ever been perfect. It's Jesus. So in order for you to be right with God, in order to stand right before God... You gotta have a substitute because, like I said, the wages of sin is death. When you stand face to face with a holy God and you have committed a sin, what happens? You gotta pay for that. You gonna reach down in your pocket and find enough money to cover it. Not gonna happen. Doesn't work. God doesn't work that way. Oh God, didn't I you didn't I do this good? Didn't I didn't I help these people? Didn't I give this away and give that away? What's he gonna say? Matthew seven, I never knew you. Away from me, your work you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. The only way to know him is for his sacrifice to to, to, to be a substitute for your sin. God sent his own son to walk this earth to be perfect. He was perfect. He committed no sin. And because of that, he was the only one that's ever lived that has been qualified to be your substitute. So he hung on a cross and bore the sin of everyone, took on the sin of everyone who would ever believe in him. Every wrong you ever done, every lie you ever told, everything was placed on Jesus on the cross, and now it's not on you. But in order to receive that, you have to repent and believe in Him, because He died for everyone who believe that would, would ever believe in Him. So you have to believe. You have to repent from your sin. You have to turn from the wicked way that you've been living and follow Christ. Repent and believe. That's the gospel. Jesus came, lived perfect, was crucified and hung, and was buried and rose again so that everyone that would ever believe in him could have eternal life. That's John 3:16. God gave his only begotten son. Would you believe in him today? Don't walk out these doors without repeating. If you have never turned to God, let me tell you something. You know as well as I do, you could pull out on this street, get hit by somebody, Buffy can tell you, he's medical examiner, he sees it all the time. You, you might not make it home today, have a heart attack, whatever the case is. And in that instant, be standing face to face with God. Well, God, I was going to do it. But you didn't. Away from me, I never knew you. Don't walk out of these doors. Don't. Put it off another minute. That's there's the reason the Bible says today is the day of eternity or today is the day of salvation. That means there's never been another time, a better time to turn to God than right now. Right now. If you never have believed and repented, turn to God now because you're not promised another day, another second of life, another breath. So we all stand. David's going to sing and during this time of invitation if you um, if you've never received eternal life if you've never turned to Jesus you can walk down during this time and we can talk about salvation if you've been visiting with us for a while and you want to talk about membership here at the crossway well we can talk about that and have a conversation about that if you've uh, uh, want to come down to the altar and pray want somebody to pray with you uh, we can do that uh, talk about baptism, whatever the case is. But uh, I'd say as the Holy Spirit is moving right now, follow the lead of the Holy Spirit.